the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, indeed he is. He's here to say good afternoon to you. Welcome, 27th day of July. Can you believe it? It's a uh, Tuesday, and it's Craig Roberts on your radio, welcoming you to another edition of the program. We're here Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Hey, lots on the agenda today, but I want to lead off by meeting a new friend and a new programmer here to KFAX. If you're up bright and early, it's actually not all that early, 6.45 a.m. to be exact, here on KFAX. You've perhaps over the last uh, several days here been enjoying a new program called Power Walk. And we are delighted to have join us today the speaker on Power Walk, founder and pastor of Living Word Fellowship Church in Houston, Dr. Paul Canning. And Dr. Canning, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. And uh, let me mention here, too, on the outset, um, our hearts continue to go out to you and your family and, of course, your uh, your brother-in-law, uh, Tony, on the passing of your sister, his wife, Lois. Um, I know that that's a, a huge hole in the family, and just know that we continue to lift you and your family up in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, much needed, Craig, and so appreciate that. Thank you very much. Well, let's uh, let's spend a moment talking about uh, the broadcast ministry here, and of course, folks down in Houston are familiar with your uh, your work in ministry. New to the San Francisco Bay Area, so maybe kind of give us some of the highlights. We'll mention, by the way, for listeners, that you are a Dallas man, meaning that you uh, graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. You also have a uh, degree from Oxford Graduate School, and um, have been doing the radio program for quite a number of years now, and additionally expanding into new markets. Markets like our own with Power Walk. So give us a bit of a, uh, a, a quick bird's eye view, if you might, Dr. Canning, on what folks can expect from the program and, and what you're hoping to do in speaking truth into lives. Oh, Craig, it's a great privilege and opportunity to be able to see the Lord expand the ministry of Power Walk. We're excited about that. Our passion is to make sure that the Word of God is sound and that it's applicable, that it, people can grab it. That's why we call it Power Walk. People can grab it and they can use it effectively in their lives because that's the inner power. The Spirit of God is there to guide us in the truth, to empower us, to understand the Word of God, to illuminate it so that when we walk in it, we experience the life and life abundantly that Christ came to provide. So our passion is to make sure the Bible says that if it's not truth, then the spirit that is the truth will have nothing to do with it. So all we have are words. And so that's why we are deeply committed to it being sound, but yet practical. 
Um, people need to be able to apply the scriptures. But Power Walk is not just that. Uh, Power Walk is a ministry that was started while I attended Dallas Seminary. I worked as a juvenile probation officer, and uh, my recidivism rates were low. So my boss puts me put me in the um, in West Dallas projects, and I grew up in a very good home. Um, just honestly, not because uh, Lois uh, is my sister. Um, uh, even though I know she's passed, it's still very fresh. So I say, is my sister, and um, she is. Uh, she not because of her that I say that. We just grew up in a very strong home, very Christian home. And uh, what I saw in West Dallas was mesmerizing to me. <laughs> and so I would go to all these different churches and talk with them. And pastors are working hard, but some of them are working full-time jobs and pastoring, and they're struggling to make ends meet. And then I would go to the suburbs, and there was at that time Rafa and full-time youth ministers and all this other stuff, and realized that the churches in the urban community were struggling and therefore could not provide all the needs that was taking place in the community. And so when I left Dallas Seminary, when I finished Dallas Seminary, God just moved on my heart just to do whatever it take, took to help those churches and to be engaged. So I left and went to College of Dallas Bible College and then College of Biblical Studies in Houston, working with pastors and leaders in their churches. And then Dr. Evans saw that and asked me to come work for him as his National Director of Outreach. And then um, when I decided to start Living Word, um, a lot of pastors came to me and said, you know, man, you can't leave us out here and I continue to uh, serve the churches and the leaders and all of that. So I approached Dr. Evans. He said he had no problem with it, and Power Walk was born. So when we were on the radio and television, all those things, it's to give us the exposure so that when we do our conferences, we're able to bring along a lot of good pastors with me, down-to-earth guys that were willing to help pastors with their leaders and design ministries and uh, do ministries that are not just in the church, but in Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That's our passion. And radio is a vehicle to make that work. And I love that dynamic because we are, in fact, exhorted in the Word to go into all the world to preach the gospel and to deliver it to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. And, you know, the, the Judea part we get, Samaria, well, we're not really comfortable with that, but we, I guess if we just go in and come back out real quick. <laughs> and then the uttermost parts, oh, that, that's the scary, you know, that, that means I might be looking at folks that don't look like me, talk like me, think like me, entirely different, and yet, and yet... We are compelled to bring that good news to everyone. And I, and I think that word compelling is so critically important. Even thinking about the name of your program, I'm struck by the idea that it, it, it references subtly, I think, not only what we find in God's word, and that is power, but that that power needs to have action. It needs to have forward momentum. It needs to have ap practical application. And of course, that forward momentum, that movement, so to speak, in walking and putting the two together to help really encourage Christians to kind of think beyond themselves, their neighborhoods, their families, even their own churches, to recognize that what God has called us to do in disseminating this good news is a job that has to get done and is one that only we as the church can do. Exactly. Uh, I, I, the Bible is clear. It says that the impact that Christ is going to make is through the church. He's not going to do it through any other vehicle. That He's the head of it. Uh, he's the, it's his body. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and verse 23 clearly states he's going to impact the world through the church. He's going to resist the attacks of Satan through the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Matthew 16 uh, talks about we got the keys to the gates of Hades. So the, the thing that has to be empowered, the thing that has to function in a sound biblical way, and the Bible is telling us in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 17, that he's given the man of God everything he needs to be adequate to serve the church. So there's no guesswork in it. None whatsoever. The Bible has given us that. He says, if we lay a foundation out on the one that is laid, we're wasting time. We're just doing it with wood, hair, and stubble. So the, the thing that we have to make viable in order to resist the attacks of Satan, to build families, to impact communities, to make a difference around the world, is the local church. Amen. Time to put on that, that full armor. Hey, before we go, because I know you've got a Bible study coming up shortly, Pastor, but uh, it, it, give me in, in 30 seconds sort of the 30-second the elevator takeaway conversation, meaning if somebody met you in the elevator and said, gee, Dr. Canning, I understand you've got this radio program called Power Walk on KFAX weekday mornings at 6.45 a.m., what should I expect to discover or what should I hope that God will do through that program in my life when I tune in? When if you're a man, you will become a person that is a man of God, a person that goes home to be a man of God that is a good husband, a good father, good grandfather, similar with a wife. Uh, in the person, she will be a godly woman, and she would go home and be the wife God called her to be, the mother God called her to be. If she's single, she'll be able to find a way to manage all those different passions in her life and still be productive as a believer for Christ so that her singleness promotes her uh, to be a woman of God, as 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32 to verse 35 says. She'll become that great Dorcas. She'll become that Miriam. She'll become that person that makes a difference. And, uh, and I, I'd always say that person then goes to church, and that person doesn't find the problems in church. They become solutions to whatever difficulties the church faces, so they become salt and light wherever they go. And I believe our program is designed to do that. If a person sticks with us, grows with us, we will take on those subjects, the tough ones, and work through it biblically. Well, that's exciting news and exciting to have you part of the KFAX family, Dr. Canning. I know you've got to run. I want to thank you for your time. We we'll look forward to get a chance to... Uh, visit a little bit more in-depth uh, at another opportunity. And meanwhile, we'll leave you with encouraging our listeners to check out Dr. Paul Canning. He, again, is the host of Power Walk, a new program here on KFAX, coming your way weekday mornings at 6.45 a.m. Dr. Canning, the founder and pastor of Living Word Fellowship Church. And I mentioned briefly, too, um, he's got a connection with many of us that are big fans of Dr. Tony Evans, that uh, Dr. Evans's late wife, Lois, is Dr. Canning's sister. Dr. Paul Canning, Power Walk, weekday mornings at 6.45 a.m. More information, by the way, online about the ministry at powerwalkministries.org. That's powerwalkministries.org. And our thanks to Dr. Paul Canning for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. 6.16, an update on traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Well, I mentioned to you much to unpack on today's program, and uh, we're pleased to uh, have join our conversation next 
Brian Johnston. He, of course, is the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. His program, Life Matters, can be heard every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. And uh, Brian's heartbeat really is for protecting life literally from cradle to grave. And we're going to talk about both aspects of that as he joins the conversation now. And Brian, I want to talk about the cradle side of the uh, the scenario uh, of life uh, to lead off with. Um, we heard last week, late last week, that um, Mississippi has now gone and asked the United States Supreme Court to review the landmark 19, <laughs> pardon me, 73 Roe versus Wade case that uh, effectively, along with its companion, a Doe v. Bolden decision, made abortion legal in America. And now Mississippi attorneys are coming in arguing something that you and I have said for years, and that is that both of these decisions, both of these rulings handed down by the court in January of 1973 are egregiously wrong. And now Mississippi is saying, time that the U.S. Supreme Court hear this case. Let's talk about this in light of the change of the makeup of the court with a 6-3 conservative majority across the nine-member bench. And what you think the likelihood is of the court when they come back into session in October hearing this case and what do you think the likelihood of Roe versus Wade continuing to stand particularly under not only the change of the makeup of the court but quite frankly with more and more Americans saying yeah this abortion thing it's it's problematic yeah that's right <laughs> and yeah it's been a long time it's been a topic for us for many years, and finally to see this come around is exciting, but we still have to be guardedly optimistic. There's still a lot to watch out for, and the thing is, you know, Greg, we've been talking about this, and we don't talk enough about Doe versus Bolton, that popular media never, ever mentions Doe, and yet Doe is really... That's the executioner's blade for these twin decisions. They're conjoined. They're both of equal weight. They both strip every state of the right to protect babies in their state. And it's exciting to see now a sea change. Uh, we could start by talking about the new court, which is a stunningly new court because of Donald Trump. But it shouldn't be. These are merely judges who, if you seriously studied the American Constitution, they have too. And if you've read the Constitution, and if you've read the Federalist Papers, very important, even if usually in high school when we study Constitution, study American history, we're not really told much about the Federalist Papers, but it's very important, if you love your country, to understand why the Constitution was written, the way it was written. Well, these are those kind of judges. It shouldn't be a rarity, and yet we're so pleased that these new judges uphold the Constitution and the principal idea that this nation is built not on the power of an overarching government, but on certain self-evident truths based in natural law and the laws of nature and of nature's God. And the first is that each of us had been given a gift of being alive. And that gift didn't come from this government or any other government. A very important predicate from which to build. 
And these judges are strongly inclined this way from what we can see. But therein lies the rub. Uh, we've talked about it, and those who support California pro-life, I just, we just sent out a new newsletter where we go in-depth because we could easily spend an hour talking just on this. Let me quickly summarize. We're looking at a dramatic change, and the court, by its very nature, doesn't want to change. That's the reason they didn't overturn Roe in 92 when they could have. In the Casey decision, they explicitly struck down entire elements of Roe's reasoning, and I'm using air quotes, reasoning, because Roe versus Wade itself doesn't make any sense. And as you know from my book, a uh, little self-promo, but our opponents, legal advocates for abortion, have been open. And of course, Alan Dershowitz, everybody knows Alan's name, but real leaders like Lawrence Tribe, hardcore left-wing legal advocates for abortion say, Roe v. Wade doesn't make sense. That's serious. When even, the, obviously pro-lifers don't agree with it. But when the actual opponents say it doesn't make sense, you've got to look more closely. And as you know, and what my book points out, it's hidden in Doe versus Bolton. The power to kill is directly handed to the physician. They're told to abandon by Doe v. Bolton to forget about the Hippocratic Oath. If they want to kill this baby, and if there's any reason that they can come up with, the same as health exception, the psychobabble exception, what, what about her psychological health, sociological health? That's what Doe versus Bolton does. It authorizes doctors to kill. That's got to be overturned if you have any common sense or if you have any respect for the medical profession. So it's refreshing that this is coming up. It's wonderful that people now at the highest level are fighting, but this court still is determined by the Chief Justice. And in the article I wrote, again, California Pro-Life supporters who got their letter today, or the next couple of days, you'll get the letter. And I go into the sad history of both the court, but in particular of Chief Justice Roberts. And so we know there's numerous judges now. We have the majority of people that have, in various ways, said Roe versus Wade doesn't make sense and shouldn't stand. But it's going to be up to Chief Justice Roberts. He basically will use each of their opinions. And he uses these opinions like chess pieces on a board. And we saw him do that with Obamacare, where literally he moved decisions, and then his own decision he flipped in order to accomplish a specific goal. And in his mind, and he's been clear about it, his goal is to make the court look good. So that's, uh, it sounds stunning, but that's, I guess, how some of these folks think. And so I'm guardedly optimistic, just to sum up, that this court's going to overturn Roe and Doe. Again, we need to make sure that Doe versus Bolton, which assaulted the medical profession and told healers to be killers. See, that's the real issue that came through that day. And... If Roe and Doe are overturned, we're going to be looking at a new world for the United States. And many states will, at that moment, be protecting babies. But states like California 
our work will just have begun. There's a question, Brian, I want to pose and and give you an opportunity to, to mull this over in your mind, listeners, too, and then have you address it when we come back after the break. Because certainly, as we've historically heard the abortion debate the 73 decision couched, the, the mainstream media, at least, would need to believe that the only real true decision that had any impact on this was Roe versus Wade. And a lot of time and coverage has been invested in that in the ensuing 40 plus years. But your new book, Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, how the Supreme Court unleashed medical killing. By the way, folks can get that if they go to Amazon, Evil Twins, Roe and Doe. Um, I'm wondering from that if the broader issue here is that while perhaps there are degrees to which Roe versus Wade seemed to kind of codify abortion on demand as a right to privacy issue under the Fourth Amendment, um, is perhaps the real broader sort of double-edged sword here, not Roe versus Wade, but Doe v. Bolton, in the sense that not only in in the position that it takes opened up the door for abortion, but as you suggest from the subtitle of your book, Unleash Medical Killing, which then to me suggests that the implications of something like Doe v. Bolton allowed to stand in the manner in which it literally strips out centuries of protections of once had been the the time-honored Hippocratic Oath that every physician, every medical professional heretofore has sworn to, that this essentially not only leaves the door open to medical killing as it relates to abortions, but quite frankly, medical killing even as it relates to end-of-life issues. And if so, is the real enemy here of life in America Doe v. Bolton? And if so, how difficult will, difficult will it be to get this Supreme Court to overturn that? That's the question we're posing to Brian Johnston. You're going to get back to us with an answer coming up right after the break. 531 from KFAX. Our conversation with Brian Johnston. We're talking about the Mississippi um, urging the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe versus Wade in an abortion case. But what about Doe v. Bolton? We'll unpack that as Lifeline continues right now, though. A look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And we're back with Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Brian, by the way, is the host of a program called Life Matters, and it airs every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX, where Brian has a chance to go much deeper on many of these topics, so we invite you to make it a point to uh, tune in and check the broadcast out. Again, that's Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. Talking about a number of things in our dialogue today, uh, one of which, of course, was news late last week that the, the state of Mississippi, the attorney general there, is requesting the U.S. Supreme Court revisit the historic 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling legalizing abortion nationwide and essentially um, stating that state should have the right to prohibit elective abortions prior to viability. And more and more states, of course, have been leaning in that direction. And now Mississippi is asking for a complete overturn 
of Roe versus Wade. But the broader controversy, perhaps, is that this is only one of two decisions handed down in the same day, back in February, I'm sorry, in January of 1973. And the other one chronicled uh, quite nicely and perhaps the best detail on not just Roe versus Wade, but Doe versus Bolton can be found inside the pages of Brian Johnston's new book, Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. And I'm curious, Brian, to that point, as we mentioned earlier, your heartbeat, your passion has been for life from cradle to grave, which is why you've been involved for so many years, not only in the pro-life movement, but also providing protection and oversight for some of the others most vulnerable within American society, and that is people at the other end of the continuum that, that are they're in kind of their twilight years. And we've seen terrible things going on in terms of abuses at retirement homes. Um, I think before the hour's up, we're going to spend some time talking about even manners in which the state failed to fully protect some of our most vulnerable from the impact of COVID. We've got many examples of that in the rest home communities here in the San Francisco Bay Area where early days in the pandemic, as, as most listeners know, uh, it found fertile soil in states like Washington and California ravaging retirement communities. But, Brian, I want to come to my, my question. How, how yeah. pivotal, in your opinion, is... Doe v. Bolton, not only in terms of abortion on demand in America, but the broader question of allowing for medical killing, and does this also potentially, if overturned, have implications at the other end of the spectrum related to things like so-called, quote-unquote, death with dignity and physician-assisted suicide? It's definitely, uh, just let's look at it this way, look at if you will, again, we're in a culture that changed on the 22nd of January, 1973. Let's go to January 21st, 1973. And any doctor, first of all, in every state on January 21st of 73, the Hippocratic Oath was not just a, a casual rule of thumb. It was actually reflected in the laws of those states where medicine could not be used to intentionally kill a patient. So it's obviously against the ethics of medicine, but literally the laws of those states reflected that. And specifically in the oath, it says, and, I will give no deadly medicine, even if asked, and in like manner, I will not give a woman a concoction that will cause an abortion. It says, in like manner. And it's very clear, you don't have to go too far back in history books to know that common sense, even back then, millennia ago, they knew that's a human baby. That's not a little pony. That's not a little cow. That's a human baby. And doctors don't kill humans when they're most vulnerable. And when you're a baby is when you're most vulnerable. So that was in the oath. On the 22nd, then, all of those states had to abandon their laws by fiat of the high court. And by virtue of that, the Hippocratic Oath as a guide for the medical profession was also thrown out. On January 21st of 73, if you had told someone, oh, you know, we're going to go down tomorrow, we're bringing my grandma down to the doctor, and, and we're going to put her down because we love her. We're gonna we're gonna bring in it. It's compassionate. 
people would say that that's not compassion. That's killing your grandmother. <laughs> that's not how you treat your grandmother. But today, I hate to say it, it's very common because we aren't using ethics to guide us. We're using emotions. And even Christians are quite free to be guided by their emotions rather than the principles of what's taking place. And so our culture was changed. And to answer your question, I believe that this will be undercut. If Roe is overturned, they're going to undercut Doe v. Bolton because they've been conjoined decisions. Again, there were two separate decisions. Can't reiterate the whole book here, but Roe dealt with the laws of Texas. Doe dealt with the laws of Georgia. They decided in both cases to throw out those state laws and then throw out all of the other states' laws. And so they conjoined those decisions. The important thing about Doe is in Georgia, it did allow abortions before that date, but they had to be done in hospitals, and there had to be a panel of physicians that agreed yeah, this is a hard case. Yeah, Doc, I think I think you should go ahead with this abortion. Had to have that agreement. They threw that law out in Doe v. Bolton, and what Justice Blackman said is any doctor can use their own personal guidance regarding these social issues in his mind. That's the famous health case. So what we have is that Doe is the empowering aspect of Roe v. Bolton. Again, Back to where Roe doesn't even make sense. There's all sorts of reasons. Oh, what about overpopulation? He throws that in. Oh, the woman might feel alone. The parents may not want her to have a child. There's the shame of, of illegitimacy. So he throws all sorts of justifications in and then implies there's going to be some restrictions. But in Doe, he says, I want doctors free to do what they want to do, even if it's killing this kid. And specifically, that health exception, you don't need to have a physical problem with mom. You don't need to have a physical problem with the baby. With the famous health option, if her life or health is in danger, and again, the definition of health is if the doctor feels it could have psychological impact in the future, well, then kill the kid. Regardless of how old the kid is. That is the stunning aspect of Doe v. Bolton. If Roe is overturned, they're going to have to address the license that was given to doctors to kill. It will not, however, address the bigger cultural issue, and that's really what you're driving at. Uh, Craig, the problem is, is that, and this is how I begin every program with Life Matters, you're in a battle of ideas. And these ideas have consequences. And if you're not aware and fighting in this battle of ideas, you've lost. These are decisions that are made not by people in some dome building or people in the television set. You're going to be pushed into a change in your culture. And the decisions are still going to come to your kitchen table when you have family members that say, well, why, you know, Uncle Bill is really sick. He's, it's incurable. <laughs> we don't want him to suffer anymore. And if you're not ready for that, the decision on Roe and Doe isn't going to impact that. However, the culture still is addressing this. This is not a debate that's over. 
The Supreme Court reviewed assisted suicide laws in the Glucksburg case of 1995. And the Supreme Court was very clear, there is no right to die. There's no such thing as a right to die. And assisted suicide is not a right. So the Supreme Court has spoken on that. But remember, that doesn't mean it is illicit in some states. The same thing, you know, there's no right to prostitution. But Nevada has legalized it. So there's a cultural war that you just can't expect the Supreme Court is going to solve everything. They have to draw very wide perimeters. And now because of Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton, because of nearly 50 years of killing human babies, you are living in a culture that has inured itself to disposing of human beings that are uncomfortable. And the people who specialize in the disposal happen to be called doctors. And that was the violence done to our society in 73. Oh, doctors, instead of being healers, they can also be killers. That's fine with us. That cultural change... If you're not cognizant of it, that cultural change is very much with us. And so, while there's no right to assisted suicide, there's no actual prohibition, particularly in California, and they're trying to expand it here in California. Let me, I know we're going to talk in a little bit about Gavin Newsom. He's, he, in wherever you land, you need to know the media is protecting him. I hate to put it so bluntly, but... I talk about policies, very specific policies, and there's a lot of policies that Gavin Newsom's followed that you want to examine, and there's a reason he's being recalled. But you may not. Well, let's know. talk about that, Brian. After a quick uh, update here, I want to I want to step aside so we don't get uh, interrupted by traffic. So ho- hold that thought if you would one moment. Brian Johnston with us with the National Right to Life Committee. We are talking about uh, not just the impact potentially of this um, request by the state of Mississippi's Attorney General for the U.S. Supreme Court to again and once and for all perhaps uh, review and reverse. Roe v. Wade, but the broader implications, as Brian has touched on, of life at both ends of the spectrum. And and that leads to a subject matter that, uh, in light of the upcoming recall, uh, we need to touch on for a moment, and that is what has transpired since the outbreak of the pandemic in 2000, um, early 2000, and its impact on some of the most fragile lives where the state largely really failed to protect the most vulnerable. We'll talk about that as our conversation with Brian Johnston continues after this update. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation now with Brian Johnston, National Right to Life Committee's Western Regional Director and the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m., Brian, I mentioned about your passion for protecting the vulnerable from cradle to grave. And and part of that, sadly, we saw the the grave portion hastened, sadly, and quite unnecessarily so, for good numbers of residents of convalescent hospitals across the state of California. In fact, uh, some of the the early explosion took place um, in those facilities, both in Washington State here in California, And I understand one member of the legislature is calling upon the governor to be held accountable for this, for the failure of the state to step in and take immediate and necessary action and precautions to protect these people. Tell us what's going on. 
Yeah, that's very clear. And uh, again, most of the media, that the uh, the one exception was the Mercury News when it was first happening. They did dig in, and there's a lot of very, very clear evidence that there was intentional sending of COVID to these folks in nursing homes. There was no treatment offered. It was basically they were sent as spreaders, knowing that this was the most vulnerable population. That was by the governor's orders. So that's a great impact. and We need to be reminded of that. Apparently yesterday, Governor Cuomo, who did the same thing, the Biden administration said, well, we're not going to dig into that anymore. We won't, we won't question that. But if we're concerned about COVID and who's at risk, that's a very clear example of really not caring about those who are at risk. And not offering any kind of treatments, although, as you know, there were treatments suggested, but but prohibited in California. I hope folks know that, that the state of California prohibits treatments being offered uh, because when it was political reasons, they didn't want anything that President Trump had said to have any credibility. So they just prohibit treatments. You can only get the only answer is the shot. But we digress slightly. I want to talk about the governor. And his significance in this whole issue of protecting the vulnerable or even intentionally killing the vulnerable, the purpose of Roe and Doe, when I look at why I wrote the book and what we need to understand is that those decisions on that day changed your entire culture to view medicine as a tool that could be used to kill for social reasons. That's what happened. It altered entirely our view of medicine and our view of our own culture. And so since that day, it's nearly 50 years, we've become inured to the idea that, well, yeah, certain cases, you know, it's probably better for uh, that person to be dead, and it's probably better for a doctor to do it. They're the pros. That's become a cultural norm. And unless you're aware of that, as I talked about in the book, and you and I have talked about, I know people who lived through World War II in Germany and in other countries. But I know people who both were in the death camps and people who lived in the society at large. And that was a society that simply, as a society, didn't think much of medicine. And all of those death camps, by the way, the way you died was by going to the infirmary. Ironically, you know, where they're supposed to take care of you. And so they did. They took care of you. That's how it began, with the doctors doing the killing. We have become just as inured to that concept. Now, the reason we have to address that cultural hardness of heart is because it's crept in. It's crept beyond abortion, as you know. And an issue that we're facing on assisted suicide is that our own governor... And he wrote about it, and, and you can see the article. Several, several people have incisively exposed it, but it doesn't get talked about. He actually was involved in the killing of his own mother before it was even legalized in California. In 2013, he was involved, and he talks about the fact that, and it's almost classic, he didn't get along with his mother. He didn't want to visit his mother. He didn't really want anything to do with her. But when she said she wanted to be dead, he was there to help. And that's amazingly common. It just gets rid of the problem. And again, I'm not making this up about him. These are from his own comments. 
But this is the man who's now ultimately in charge of our laws for this state. And it was two years later that it was legalized in California. Supposedly, assisted suicide has some guidelines. There's a bill now, Senate Bill 380, which is removing those limits. And the California Medical Association, whom he met with, by the way, at the French Laundry, they're supporting removing those protections. And so I can only tell you, if it gets to his desk, if nothing else, in order to stall his own conscience, he is going to embrace this very callous view of how medicine can be used to end social problems and human lives. What happened in January of 73 attacked the very foundation of Western civilization. You don't kill someone because they're vulnerable. You care for them, you comfort them, you provide for their needs, but you don't snuff them like a dog or a bug. Human beings are qualitatively different than other mammals. And so you sacrifice them, you care for them. And again, if you've been at nursing homes or if you've been a hospice volunteer, you understand that. That what people really need towards the end of their life is caring involvement. You can end even the most difficult of cancer pain. And if your doctor isn't doing it, by the way, the answer is simple. It's three words, it's not kill the patient. Get another doctor because the resources are there to and that physical pain, and without putting someone into a stupor, medicine has advanced far since the Hippocratic Oath was initiated. And even then, they wouldn't kill people for the sake of ending pain. But the resources are there. What's really needed, the deep issue, and this is what Christians should pay attention to, is the emotional and psychological challenges when you're about challenges when you're about to die people well that's just it Brian. at the end of the day this is not about ending pain this is about eliminating inconvenience and that that's the sad reality here uh, because otherwise those who are promoting this idea would also be wise enough to know that modern medicine has provided us all kinds of tools and resources to manage pain and to make people comfortable as they're facing end of life so the the notion that there's some altruistic idea here or i love the line it's it's providing death with dignity as if dignity death is not dignified it may be inconvenient it may be for a lot of us unwanted but it is definitely not undignified it's a natural part of life. Brian will unpack these and other issues much deeper in his weekend program called Life Matters Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. More details about these topics available at the California Pro-Life Council website at californiaprolife.org. That's californiaprolife.org. Our thanks to Brian Johnston for that update. Six o'clock, speaking of updates, let's get you one on traffic.